0: Hi everyone, welcome to the B2B Sales Podcast. I'm Thibaut and I'm Ara. Every week we interview thought leaders, experts and top performers in B2B sales.
1: During 30 to 45 minutes, we will deep dive into topics like modern prospection, pipeline management tactics or innovative sales tools to help you navigate the complex world of B2B sales.
0: We're on a mission to change the way society sees sales. This profession is one of the most rewarding ever yet many people are afraid to do sales or they choose this career by default.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Sales Labs. If you want to know more about our sales training and coaching programs, go to www.saleslabs.io. I repeat, www.saleslabs.io.
0: So get ready for your dose of sales wisdom and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of the B2B Sales Podcast. So today's guest uh, is actually very interesting because he's a CRO of our lab, So it's Josh Allen. So Josh, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Thibault. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, we're doing well. I'm actually, uh, I'm, I'm one of the, the few folks who's in the office. Um, today I'm, I'm actually in our our office here in Boston, so Mm -hmm. I'm the only one here, but it's, it's nice to be in the office and have some feeling of normalcy. Uh, they've been and hard to come by.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and it's actually super relevant because the technology and what you're selling is very relevant to being in the office, but not really being in the office. We're going to talk a bit more about that, but before that, can you maybe tell us a bit more about yourself, who you are and what you're doing right now?
1: Yeah. So, uh, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm currently chief revenue officer here at Owl lab. So responsible for really what I would classify as the whole customer life cycle from, um, from a marketing standpoint, through a sales standpoint, and then customer success and post-sale uh, and, and technical support as a part of that. I've spent most of my career, if not all of my career um, in sales. And, and so I actually kind of stumbled by accident into sales. About call it 18 years ago, um, when I got a, a job at a company called Sophos and started, you know, as the as the one who was responsible for going to get coffee for the sales team and processing their their orders when they came in and then sort of worked my way up. But I've been fortunate to be a part of some some really nice growth companies. Uh, Log Me In was really where I even learned what a growth company looked like and uh what happens when you take a business public and what that looks like going from private to public um and and after that experience for 10 years i had a a chance to be a part of that company and and did a lot of different things along the way then joined carter's which was another explosive growth company um went to drift uh which was another company that was growing incredibly well and and here i am at owl labs which you know believe it or not of the companies i work with may end up being the, the fastest growth company of all of them. So it's, um, it's a lot of fun. I, I, I pride myself and enjoy being at companies where you're, um, you're constantly challenged by uh, incredible growth rates.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really uh, and it's actually surprising because all our labs is basically you have a, a hardware you're selling uh and and it's going to be the you know like often software is super high growth because there's no huge cost uh to kind of deliver the value you know it's just another la- user on the software but for you it's more like sending objects or, or or whatever so can you maybe tell us a bit more about what's the all what you're selling and uh what what's the benefit for people for people who are buying it?
1: Yeah, the, so the OWL is, it, it's essentially uh, a 360 degree, all-in-one camera speaker microphone. And the, the the reason the OWL is so popular and the reason it has such a high MPS score with our customers is because you, know, you have experienced, like we're experiencing right now, we're one-on-one in this tunnel on our web camera. Mm-hmm. That works for one-on-one. When you get into a setting where you have multiple people in a room who are speaking presenting talking uh, using the whiteboard writing things down if you're if if you're on the other side of a webcam you lose the context of what's happening in the room so you don't see body language you don't see what somebody's writing down you can only hear them or if you have uh, a conference room set up that still only has maybe 180 degrees of coverage it's hard to see what's going on in the room and so the, the, the Owl Meeting Pro or the Meeting Owl Pro is really designed to create a more immersive experience in the room so that whoever is talking, whoever is speaking, it will react to who's involved in the meeting in the room and create that environment where whether you're there physically or you're remote, you can get the full context of the meeting
0: and what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, if, if you have time, check the demo, it, it looks, it's simply amazing for me. I, I mean, I've been doing a lot of uh, hybrid meetings in summer and yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. Cause it's, I mean, if you, if you just do like um, something where everyone's connected to one computer, that's more or less okay. It's still manageable, but if you have like people who are in a room and then people on a computer, it's just a nightmare to have a good experience for everyone. So I think it's a, it's a great solution for that. And uh, that, may, that may explain why the growth is, uh, is so impressive also.
1: Yeah, we've had, um, you know, I think we've had some adoption in places that we, we didn't know we were going to see, like the classroom, for example, mm-hmm. where in much of Europe, and the US, there are hybrid learning models where you have some of the kids who are going to school and some who are learning from home. And so the OWL has been adopted as a technology where you can create an experience where they see their peers who are in the classroom and who raise their hand and ask a mm-hmm. question. Um, And we also have the technology so that the teachers can use the classroom the way it was intended. They can use the assets, they can use the smart board, they can use the things that they have there and teach as they normally would, as opposed to being confined to this tunnel of being on the webcam. So, so yeah, it's it's been nice to see the product adopted in a way that I think has stretched us as an organization to make sure we're, we're updating the technology well and providing the types of tools and resources that you need, whether you're a teacher, an office facilitator, or um, or someone in a state and local government environment where you're facilitating a, a meeting. So yeah. it's been nice.
0: Okay. Okay. And so it's not the first time you're a CRO. You've been a CRO at Drift before joining our labs. Obviously, the companies are very different. So what are the kind of like uh, differences you've seen in these in these two roles and the type of people you're selling to?
1: Yeah, a great. I mean, they couldn't be more different. Honestly, I think there's um, even just software, or hardware alone are very different motions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at Drift, we were we were really uh, when I got there in late 2018 or September of 2018, um, Drift was really more focused on small businesses and mid-market companies, and we had a kind of a high-velocity sales motion where it was a relatively short sales cycle. I think our sales cycle was, was around 30 days back then and a relatively low ASP. And so it was, it was built as really a high velocity business. We were selling predominantly to marketers. So either a head of digital marketing or a CMO for a smaller business. And the goal of implementing Drift was that you can convert more of the traffic you have on your website into leads, pipeline, and ultimately close revenue. And um, what we found over time, though, is that our best customers were more upmarket in the enterprise, mm-hmm. where they had the resources internally to be able to roll out Drift well. They had pretty substantial SDR teams that could actually get involved in the chats when they reached a certain place, um, and they were spending a lot of money to drive traffic to their website. And if they could increase their conversion by even small basis points, it had a really massive impact on their unit economics of the business and so as a company with drift we started to pivot toward the enterprise and that's where they are today they're really focused on selling a platform to the enterprise where frankly it's, it's a it's a much more valuable product um, for those reasons and and so the the business changed quite a bit if i compare that to, to owl um, and the type of business we're running you know, for one it's hardware so it's not like a, a SaaS subscription where you have an infinite supply that you can turn on for somebody you have to think about the logistics behind how many are being built when are they going to be ready where do they have to be shipped how are they getting received and then how do they get deployed um so all of that is 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 a part of our process and but the sales motion itself has really been Um, similar to what Drift was early days, where it's high velocity, uh, inside sales driven. We have a strong channel motion here. So we have lots of partners, uh, both domestically in the US, um, but also across Europe. Uh, We have a strong partner in Japan um, that is driving quite a bit of business for us. And so, you know, we've been able to run both a strong like digital e-commerce sales motion and and emerging and and kind of continuing to build uh, touch sales motion. But the touch sales motion has only been in place for the last three quarters, roughly. It's a relatively new motion for the business and in large part was done in reaction to um, to the incredible tailwind we've had in the market. So now part of the reason I joined was to really organize and scale that as we as we continue to grow here in
0: 2021 and beyond. Okay, so you have like as you said, this kind of e-commerce motion where it's, it's more similar to an experience you would have on Amazon or Shopify, I guess. And the other one, which is more maybe strategic or what's the, what are the differences between these two kind of sales uh, motions there?
1: Yeah. So we, um, we have some online retailers like an Amazon, who's a, who's a great partner of ours and we have our own website. And typically if somebody is buying there, they're buying, um, one to upwards of five owls but Mm -hmm. generally not more than that so it's something that's really solving for a relatively small case or they're buying one because they want to test it and see if they want to use it on a larger Mm -hmm. case Um, when our sales team gets engaged uh, or our partners get engaged it's usually for a larger deployment so you're thinking of whether it's 50 owls 500 owls or 2000 owls um, they'll talk about, they'll engage with the sales team because then we're getting a little bit deeper into security, um, how do we make sure that the right people are accessing it, how to turn on and off certain features, the logistics of actually deploying and, and locking a physical piece of equipment uh, in the office or in the classroom so that it's secure. So there's, there's a little more that goes behind it. And then underneath it, you know, technically understanding how the product works Uh, How it receives its updates, Mm -hmm. how it communicates, how they manage the fleet of hardware that they have in the organization, all that stuff uh, requires more of a, a soft touch from the sales organization.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's super interesting. Cause I've seen a lot of uh, companies where they they have a model where it's a bit of e-commerce and then they try to go B2B and often it's, it's pretty tough because they have this culture of e-commerce, which is very different where you will drive a lot of traffic inbound. I mean, I'm not an expert in that, but basically from what I understand, that's, that's what you're doing. And then you go for B2B like more strategic and it's super challenging cause culturally super different. I had a case where a customer had like customer service agents, and they wanted to turn them into salespeople, which obviously didn't work. But uh, that was uh, that was something something interesting. Did you have like some kind of issues like that too, to kind of uh, develop this, um, um, as you say, touch? How you call that? Like touch-based uh, sales? Or
1: yeah, we have a we have a direct sales motion. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, an Owl Lab sales team that is selling directly to customers uh, who have interest. And then we have a channel sales motion where it's really channel account management. So Mm -hmm. managing the partners that we have out there who are selling to their end user base. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's interesting because I think originally if you rewind the clock to this time last year, um, it was largely an e-commerce driven business. Mm -hmm. And so the, the customer care team that we had in place, you know they were doing some selling but it was really helping with the processing of the order as opposed to going through like a deep qualification process or discovery process of, of what the use case was and so we've we've sort of separated that motion and turned it really into more of a customer success and service motion so that our customers are getting the questions answered that they need to but then when it, when it elevates into more of a B2B discussion um, where there's a, a deeper line of questioning where they wanna understand if they're using or looking at a competitive product, how they compare um, situationally, how the product is going to react, going through a demo, going through an RFP process, then we have a touch sales team that knows how to navigate the sales process, get into discovery, get into qualification, and better understand um, whether or not it's going to be the right fit to solve their problem.
0: Okay, okay. And so, so as as the CRO of Outlabs, what are your main goals, and and uh, what are you trying to achieve, uh, you know, for the revenue organization right now?
1: Yeah, well, uh, with I think with any good CRO, it starts with a revenue number, um, and then underneath it, from a goal standpoint, I think it's it's. You know, we're going through this process of where we're we're transitioning from being a startup company like a very small startup company to a company that is in the scale phase of the business so it's we have product market fit we have a repeatable motion that is working we have great unit economics in the business now it's about how do you pull that and scale that so that you have the right people the right leadership in place to, that has seen that movie before and knows how to execute it Um, And then the right types of roles in in making sure that you have enough specialization and focus within those roles so that, you know, what often happens at a startup is you have people who are doing lots of different things, wearing lots of different hats, and they're more generalists. As you get into the scale phase, it's important to start to categorize those into specialty roles. Uh, An example I'll give is oftentimes in a startup, you have salespeople who are, selling uh, new products and new people that come in, and then they're also responsible for going and selling to existing customers and potentially having to renew existing customers, and they're doing all of it. As you scale, that gets really hard to repeat such a broad spectrum of responsibilities, and so you start to narrow that in, and we'll have our sales team that's responsible for selling to new customers, and we'll have our sales team that's responsible for selling to existing customers. And then again, as the organization gets bigger and bigger, you start to uh, you start to really specialize those more and more so that you can get the most return
0: out of somebody's time. Okay. So you basically you're you're like kind of uh, doing a lot of role specialization. That's kind of a big focus for you right now is uh, is like these building blocks of scale where as you said, you know, you're not doing everything. You are just like focusing on one specific specific area like upsell or new business and then having the right leaders kind of grow this right
1: exactly yeah like for example we're introducing uh sdrs for the first time in 2021 we're introducing account managers for the first time uh and we're moving to a territory structure for the first time so we can continue to specialize where the team spends their time and how they focus
0: okay and so, so that brings me to another question, which is like revenue is, is a big, you know, it's a big word that involves a lot of things from marketing to customer success, to sales and everything. And uh, often what I've seen is when you do role specialization, you have like breaking points that appear uh, between each kind of department. Is it something you're, you're facing? And, and, and if that's the case, how do you solve that?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think some of it points back to how the, how the CRO role is defined um, by company. I think you'll find different definitions and different responsibilities depending on the company. Um, I've seen CRO essentially be the sales leader, which is, uh, I think, not ideal to me. If you're going to be responsible, if you're going to be, if revenue is going to be in your title and you're going to be responsible for what the business is producing from a revenue standpoint, um, that role should encompass the entirety of a customer's journey from mm-hmm. from start to finish, meaning yeah. from the first time they engage with the brand and, uh, and are interacting with the content that your marketing team has produced um, or they attend an event or uh, they land on the website and engage with your company through the sales process, whether that be digital or with a person, uh, through the post-sale process with customer success and how they get onboarded, implemented, uh, trained on how to use the product. And then through support and ongoing account management if if you're if you're delegated as the cro and you don't have um responsibility for all of that i think you really do the team a disservice because you're you're separating and creating silos Mm -hmm. if you put those with different owners and so my responsibility at owl encompasses all of that so i think of it as really it's, it's it's a customer journey responsibility. And I think when you have one owner of that, it helps to break down where the disconnects are and you can build, um, I think, better connective tissue between your marketing team and your sales team or your sales team and your customer success team or customer success and support. You can design systems that are all encompassing around them. Yeah. Can, um, and because what you're trying to do is really put yourself in a customer's shoes of, How smooth is the continuation of my journey as I continue to interact with this company? And wherever you have those breaking points, you need to make sure you can fix them. And I think the only way to do that is to have somebody who oversees and has responsibility for the entirety of that.
0: Okay. Okay. And so one question then for you, for your new SDRs, will they be under marketing or sales?
1: They will be under sales. Okay. It will be under sales, and and uh, I've lived in both worlds. Um, It's if you asked me two years ago, I wouldn't have had a strong opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, If you ask me now, I have a stronger opinion. I think that uh, I think that it should live in the sales organization because of a couple of reasons. One, um, the SDRs that you're hiring are really your farm team it's an entry-level sales role it's you're coming in and you have a lot of the right intrinsic characteristics you have natural curiosity you have natural grit you're a coachable person but ultimately if you're hiring somebody into a sales development role their goal should be that they want to continue to take on more responsibility as a seller and so great sdrs are really good at qualification and discovery Um, because they're taught how to do it, but also because they're naturally curious and they want to expose and expand. Um, And and you want your sales leaders to have access to those individuals so that as they're planning for growing their teams, you can see somebody in a role for 12 months and say, man, they're amazing at being able to ask these qualification questions their deals close at a 10% higher clip than their next closest peer. Like that's somebody I want to be able to advance in the organization. So you you can keep it within the sales organization. I think if it's in the marketing organization, what I've seen in my experience is that um, uh, they're tied to the outcome from a marketing standpoint, which is usually pipeline. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes those those numbers can get pumped a little whereas if you're in the sales org it's either the deal materializes and closes or it doesn't and i think you want the sdr as close to that as possible as it relates to responsibility and accountability and and uh and i think a sales leader running that organization creates more accountability for the quality of the work they're putting forward
0: yeah okay and so so your sdrs is it the plan is to kind of get them to do a lot of outbound or mostly dealing with with inbound we're
1: gonna we're fortunate that we have a lot of inbound flow right now so a lot of their responsibility is going to be around um uh, a tighter process around our lead qualification uh-huh. and making sure that we're getting the most out of the leads that we are generating so they're really they're really going to be responsible for teeing up meetings for the account executives yeah. for the for the sales team uh, and then as we grow into it, as we continue to expand, we'll develop an outbound motion. Mm-hmm. But for now, it's going to be predominantly inbound with um, with some selective targets that we're going to go after okay. with, with an outbound motion.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting because for me, you know, like uh, I sell a program which is called the T-shaped sales development accelerator, where it's mostly for people who generate opportunities and it has not so much a focus on qualifying opportunities, you know, as, as you said, where you have a lot of inbounds, but mostly like, uh, growing your networks and knowing how to proactively add the right type of people, then serving problem-centric content, and then using that to do what I call warm outreach, where it's very similar to inbound, but instead of relying on marketing, you take like the, the lead on there, you create, like you can use marketing content, but you give it your own twist and you use that to start conversations. And so. For you, my question is like as a CRO, like whenever you see that, so is it something relevant, or in your case, you're really try, trying to find people who are more around qualification and following the right process?
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's really around um, you know for inbound, it is about qualification and process. Mm-hmm. It's really trying to, to understand for the leads that are being generated. Um, because you're, you're trying to create a data set for your marketing yeah. team to be able to say, all right, here are the campaigns that are working. These are the channels that are working. Let's double down our investment there. But then these are the channels that aren't really doing a whole lot. Let's divest from there so we can focus in the right areas. Like your SDR team essentially helps you quantify what is working uh, from a marketing standpoint and what's yeah. not working. When you when you start to go outbound, what you're trying to do is take the message um that or the campaign messaging that has worked from an inbound standpoint and attracted the most uh the most people in and then recreate that going outbound to the same target personas that you're seeing come into mm-hmm. you yeah and so that's that's for our business again we're not we're not at that point fortunately but we will be um and it allow us to use what we have seen from a repetitive standpoint, constantly coming into our SDR team, they'll help us quantify how to do that better going out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting actually, because you know, when I started in sales, I thought like the right way was to go outbound initially and just like try and figure out, which, you know, obviously for me worked well at the, you know, at, at the first company I did sales for. But what I see is that if you have like a good inbound machine, you can generate inbound leads, get some revenue, and then understand what works well. Then it's going to guide a really cool outbound um, motion that will work really well. So I think yeah. it's um it's it's really didn't see it this way, but now I kind of learned like that's uh, that seems to be a really good way to do that also.
1: Yeah, I mean the reality is you need both, and yeah. um, and and I think you know the strongest companies that have grown the fastest tend to have. Uh, really powerful inbound motions. And a lot of it is because of of market conditions and tailwinds and their Mm -hmm. ability to combine those market conditions with a great product that solves today's problem and and put that into a story where everyone can kind of nod their head and it resonates. You can drive a nice inbound flywheel that way. Um, But you also like, as you get to a certain size you will get to a point from a revenue standpoint where the inbound isn't enough and you have to start to push out. And, and that's okay. I mean, it's a perfectly natural progression because there's still a very large audience out there who doesn't know who you are and what you do and maybe hasn't even thought about the fact that they have that problem yet. So that's where the outbound effort becomes uh, really important in exposing your brand and the problem that you solve to people who haven't heard of it before.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay, and, and so uh, w- what kind of metrics and KPIs are important to you as a CRO?
1: Yeah, it's, um, well, it depends on, on, I guess, which part of the team you're looking at. I think from a marketing standpoint, we are really focused on, uh, on pipeline and what I'd classify as MQLs, although, you know, anyone who's been in a marketing and sales team knows that the definition of what an MQL is tends to change. And so we're in that period now at our labs where we're actually trying to simplify our definition of what an MQL is. And then, um, uh, which I think will give our, our SDR team a better opportunity to understand where to focus and where to spend their time. But it's it's MQLs and pipeline. So it's like, what are we generating for leads? And what are we generating for pipeline? Those are the two major KPIs. And then I think it's important not to get over the tips of your skis on having too many numbers that you're measuring the team against yeah. because you end up down these rabbit holes where you're, um, you know, you're debating in a room whether or not uh, you drove enough website traffic or what changed with the traffic on this landing page. And it's like, those are good submetrics to explain the overall. But if you dive too deep into those and spend too much time there, you can really waste a lot of effort Mm-hmm. Um, uh, without providing much impact on the business. And so we really try to start with the majors. And then if pipeline has fallen off, then you go into your sub metrics to understand, okay, um, which campaigns specifically are we light on? Uh, did we not do the proper lead follow-up to be able to drive the right pipeline? It's like just going into those. Uh, But trying to trying to follow the majors because then you can watch them week by week month by month quarter by quarter and see if they've changed. Um, On the sales side, uh, it is also pipeline uh, conversion rate and, of course, close one is the thing that we're going to take a look at. Um, We're in this place right now, where uh, I am so that's how we're tracking how we're performing, but underneath it is also. Trying to measure the size of the opportunity and how to capacity plan for that, like how many people we hire at a given time, where we can continue to drive uh, the right amount of productivity. So um, that's the fun part of the planning process. And then on the customer success side, we're really looking at at MPS and how we're performing there. And typically in a in a subscription business, you'd be looking at at renewal rate or mm-hmm churn if you want to look at glass half empty side of it um but because we're hardware only right now that's um that's not really a factor it's really about mps and our ability to resolve issues
0: okay so you have mql pipeline for marketing pipeline conversion rate and win rate for our close rate for sales and nps for customer success right yes okay and then
1: the extension of customer success which is technical support um is really a resolution
0: rate but okay yeah okay and yeah, that's like five five six really interesting metrics i think they are as you said they they should be guiding and, and then you have sub metrics but you should really follow these ones and when one is kind of off you can go and, and try to understand what's not working so yeah i think it's good it's yeah really interesting uh, metrics um yeah. and so i always love to ask this question so uh, to give a bit of a of um let's say to get of, of help uh, to the SDRs that are listening to me. So if I'm an SDR and I want to sell you something as a CRO, what kind of, uh, you know, what's a good outreach strategy to get you? So you told me that uh, one of your main goal was like finding the right type of people to lead uh, the like the, the role specialization. So if we mm-hmm. have around this problem, what would be a good, uh, a good message you would answer to uh, if it was coming from uh, an SDR?
1: Yeah, I mean, the reality is, I think that it's got to be a problem that I need to solve now. Right. So if it if it doesn't and, and it's in it's really difficult to know, like you can make some assumptions as an SDR based on the product that you sell. So, like, for example, um, if you sell, uh, let's say, like sales methodology training. Mm-hmm. and you listen to this podcast and you know that we just started our direct sales motion, we just started our channel sales motion, probably a pretty good chance. We don't have a, a sales methodology that we've mm-hmm. trained the team on. This is brand new. And so if you reached out and it was very specific to say, um, I listened to this podcast or I know you've, you've used this sales methodology in the past, and I'm guessing since your team is relatively new and you're in the process of scaling it, um, you haven't. Uh, they haven't had a chance to be trained on anything. Let me introduce you to. Here's why, uh, and then kind of ending with a, like, is this something that you're thinking about for 2021? Yeah. It's going to get my attention because it's something that I am thinking about for 2021. Yeah. So it's 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 um, but you have to like you have to be able to, you have to be willing to put in the time to understand the business in terms of who you're reaching out to and what might be on their minds um, and what they care about. And I think when you're early on in your career and you're just learning about how businesses operate, uh, it's, it's incumbent on the enablement team and the managers in that org to be able to help tell that story and tell that narrative and to be able to bubble up good examples of calls within the sales organization and the SDR team. that the things that have resonated with your product or service that you're selling so you know how uh how to customize your message when you're reaching out to somebody
0: okay so if i summarize kind of the the message so a good trigger so a good like something where you, the, the person shows that they, they've done their homework, they yes. listen to the podcast, you know, you, you, talked about a problem. I mean, you talked about something, you gave a really good example, like you're thinking about sales and methodology, sales training. So, you know, that's, that's a very good example. If someone listens to, to that and uh and then like the, the messaging about why it's relevant and uh you, you know, asking like, you know, to basically talk with you or, or if you're interested in learning more, basically. It is. And,
1: and it's, it's important. Um... I think the SDRs that you know are going to go on to become good salespeople are the ones who have clearly done their homework and customized their outreach and, and are asking that question at the end of the email uh, or at the end of their outreach that gets you to think mm-hmm. that you think, like, oh, you know what? I haven't thought about what we're going to do for training next yeah. year and which one we're going to bring in. If I have to stop and think about it, I'll probably respond because yeah. it's 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 prompted me. Um there's something on my list that I haven't gotten yeah. to yet as it relates to planning for my team and and you just stimulated me to think about it. So I'll I probably respond to that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So making yeah, I mean, often you know what we do when we do call outreach, we we just like I call that uh, uh, feature puking, where we talk about everything we do and everything and whatever, and then maybe sometimes we talk about value or benefits. But what we want is a conversation. You know, is, is get someone to stop and answer and say yes, no, or you know, just have this conversation. And often we just forget that, that it's there's ways to to start conversations that are very simple, and it's you know problem centric, uh, using a trigger and showing that you're human and not like a like a script or robot basically.
1: Oh, or a number, right? It's like, yeah. oh, well, that's that's my task for the day. I yeah. just had to get that email over to Josh. And so, yeah, it, it's if you demonstrate that you have some understanding and that you have some value that you're bringing to the table. So you have, you know, something that I don't know that you can help me with. Mm-hmm. Um, that is
0: hugely valuable. Yeah. 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 And I mean, talking about self training, if uh, you know, you know, Skip Miller, proactive selling.
1: Yeah, I don't know that book though.
0: Okay, you don't know the book of of Skip because Skip is is uh, my mentor and partner, and I'm doing what I'm doing thanks to him. So I really recommend you check his uh, his book or his methodology. I mean, he's trained. Uh, who did he train? Like Webex, Stripe, uh, Google. Like you know, every every big name he made them. So you, you can check that if you if you're thinking about it, he's a good one. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Um, anyway, so um, yeah. What is coming next for our lab? So we talked about that in the in the briefing we had, but um, seems like it's a very exciting and interesting future for you. So what's next?
1: What's next is uh, a whole lot of hiring, and <laughs> and and it's global. Uh, it's not just in the U.S. We're we're going to be really building out our team here. Um, we've got tremendous traction in our U.S. and Canadian market. But we also have a strong foothold in our European market and um, and a really impressive launch in Japan in a in a relatively short amount of time. So for for me now, like my focus is on being able to hire out the leadership for those markets Mm -hmm. and also hire out the leadership for our U.S. market so that we have um, good foundational functional leadership. Uh, and but we also build out the team. We need salespeople. We need SDRs. We need account managers. We need technical support folks. We need customer success folks. Mm-hmm. This is the year that we go really fast from um, from a scale and, and revenue standpoint. So this is fun. This is when we get to to add um, add some experience and add some major components to the to the team.
0: Okay. So yeah, hiring like leadership. So you can expand there. And uh, I mean, I think. Don't knowing, I mean, I, I'm not a, a, a huge fan, uh, like not fan, uh, uh, I don't really know the Japanese culture so much, but I feel like the owl as, a, as kind of a Japanese thing, you know, it's, you know, you see often like these nice little objects that are very kind of like artistic. And uh, I feel like it, it would fit really well in Japan. It,
1: you know, the, there's, there's, uh, there are two markets outside of the US that as an American company, if you can have success in Um, usually you have a pretty good thing and you can expand on it just about anywhere and it's the Japanese market and the German market. And if you can have success in those markets as an American company, you tend to do pretty well. Um, the outside of the U S those are our two fastest growing markets. Mm -hmm. So we feel like we're, we're sitting on something pretty nice. And as we develop uh, a more strategic approach underneath that, I think we're gonna, we're gonna really, uh, really rip in those markets for a while.
0: I mean, if you manage to sell something that has microphones and cameras to Germans, you're good. Because Germans are really, really big on privacy. I live in Berlin and uh, it's crazy, the privacy and everything. So I think it's great. Well, in,
1: in Japan, is similar. So it, it's, it's nice because they push on us as a business to make sure that our technology um, is up to par for what they need from a security standpoint, from a... a uh, where your data goes uh, and how much data is being transferred and whether or not there's personally identifiable information. So you're right. You're absolutely right. If you, if you can do well in the German market and you can do well in the Japanese market, um, it means really good things for, yeah. for selling to other places.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so if people want to get in touch with you, ask you questions, you know, like hear what you have to say, uh, how can they get more of you basically?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm uh I'm pretty active on linkedin uh, oftentimes because I'm, I'm looking for people to hire so uh, you can find me on linkedin and and message me there or you can reach out to me directly i mean my email here is josh at owllabs.com, so it's a pretty easy one to remember
0: okay okay so i'll put like the uh, not the email because otherwise it's i mean like people will find it they will listen to it and, and put it because if you put an email and it gets scraped and uh, you're gonna get a lot of cold outreach uh, but I'll put the LinkedIn, uh, the, the LinkedIn profile, yeah.
1: Thank you. Yeah, yeah. thank you.
0: <laughs> cool. So Josh, thanks a lot. That was really nice. I learned a lot actually about what problems uh, typically I mean, a CRO, I mean, zeros uh, have, I guess, different problems, but now it's clear in my mind and I hope in the mind of people who listen, what are your priorities, what you're working on? And it's uh, super interesting to see. So thanks a lot for coming on the show and uh, talk soon.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Thibaut. It was a lot of fun.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. If you like what you hear, you can actually go for a small gift on my website. It's 3w.saleslabs.io/ulos. I repeat, 3w.saleslabs.io/ulos. It's my ultimate LinkedIn outreach sequence. You'll be able to download it, directly use it, and you'll be signed up for the newsletter and every Thursday you'll receive the latest episode.